This is episode number 173. We are all alike on the inside with David J. Flood. Welcome. My name is Oleg Lohid, and this is the Overcoming Outs podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who have overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your fullest potential. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to invite all of our listeners to our upcoming weekly conversation called Courageous Conversations. This is something that we started a few months ago with the intention of bringing our community even closer, creating a space where each and every single one of us can share our own individual journeys, and create opportunities for us to shift our own realities through the shared perspectives that get shared on each and every single one of these calls. If you would like to know more details about how to join any of these upcoming conversations, go ahead and leave us a message through our website at overcomingodds.today to which we'll respond with all the details about how you can join any of these upcoming calls. Also, if you like what you heard on any of the previous episodes, consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can hear these inspiring conversations. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to another episode of the Overcoming Outs podcast. Today's guest is someone that I have had the pleasure of connecting with a couple weeks ago. And what stood out to me from his particular story was the story that he chose to share, especially the message that his son helped him see. And so I wanted to have him on this show to share with you the perspective and the experiences that he's had. His name is David. And with that said, I'll be welcoming him onto the show. David, welcome to the show. Good morning, Oleg. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for taking the chance to speak with me. And I remember initially the conversation that you and I had where we just picked up the phone and shared our own stories and individual experiences and I remember initially coming across that story from Goldcast and being just in complete inspiration, I would say. That's the best way that I could put it, by the things that you shared. And in particular, because so much of what you shared resonated with me, uh, I, I don't have or haven't had autism myself, but I have had the moments where I walked into a school and didn't know how to relate and I was seen differently, especially in situations where I didn't speak English right. to the best of the ability that I, I do now. And so I wanted to have you on the show really to talk about this topic that we chose and others. We are all alike on the inside. When you think of that particular topic, what initially comes to your mind? Well, what, well two things. Goldcast does a great job putting videos together. They're really true to a subject. I'm, you know, I'm proud to be affiliated with them and have them you know, run my videos. Um, and what you said earlier, Oleg, is is really without even knowing it, I think you made the point of my whole talk is my talk isn't necessarily about my son, Justin, um, who's 21 years old now and has autism. You said 
you didn't have autism, but when you walked into a school, you felt uncomfortable for one reason or another, whether if you don't speak the language or you're from somewhere else. So although Justin is the, I, I call Justin the on-ramp to my, to the highway of kindness. So by talking about him, I'm actually talking about the bigger picture of how we treat everyone. And what's, what's so important is to, you know, put it back on the audience and, you know, not make it about Justin, but always remind them and put it back on them. And, you know, it's very hard to walk around and look at people and say that person's just like me on the inside, especially when the person's acting like an idiot, you know, mm -hmm. or they don't look like you, they don't walk like you, talk like you, act like you, different age, whatever it might be. It's so hard to do. But if we can, those moments when you can stop yourself and slow yourself down, you know, it's a real powerful thing to be able to do that. You go to a place of empathy. I know for me, when I do that, people are more attracted to me. Like, you know, they want to, they just, people just, you could start a conversation and you find yourself, you know, when you, you know, when you disarm yourself, um, people will approach you. So, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's, it's so important to realize because everyone's going through something right now. Everybody mm -hmm. is. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit more about what clicked for you as far as wanting to even create this space and, and what did you see as far as this opportunity to create a space of love and compassion and acceptance? Like I'm assuming that one of the reasons you might've wanted to create it is because there was a lack of those subjects. Yeah. So, well, the, again, that goes back to Justin, you know, that, that I saw that he, you know, you're always thinking just of yourself or your immediate family or what's going on around you. Um, but certainly the, uh, uh, the you want to bring it out to the, you realize if it's happening to my son, it's probably happening to a lot of other people and a lot of other people's children. Um, and what's important, Oleg, is that you know, it, it happens in the extreme to some people. Some people are, you know, treated even worse than Justin. You know, I, I on a scale of one to 10, as far as like Justin was never really bullied, but he was left out of things. Now, in some ways that can be even worse. So I just wanted, if, I knew that if I went out and talked about him, that I could paint a bigger picture and tie that into how we treat everyone. You know, it, it, I never set out to say, okay, I'm going to go help a million kids or I'm going to you know, have 50 million people watch my videos or I'm going to go into a school and stop bullying. It was just, what can I do to bring more attention to this, um, to this, to this problem situation, you know, make, make people more aware of this, make kids more aware of this. Mm -hmm. And I think you bring up also a very good point And that is just starting with what you know at any given moment. I'm, I'm a huge believer of that of not waiting for tomorrow, because here's the thing. I've waited for tomorrow for however many years. I've waited for that concept of, oh, I'll just start tomorrow, or I'll start in a week or a month. In reality, what I've realized throughout my own journey is that the concept of tomorrow, it actually never comes, or it never came for me. Because then tomorrow turned into a week, a month, and a year down the road, and I just caught myself in the same exact place of inaction but deep inside of me, knowing the things that I wanted to change about a system or whatever it may be, but not taking that first step forward. And so I applaud you for taking that first step and saying, hey, I'm just going to start today with whatever that I know. And I also know that there will be other things that I don't know and will have to learn along that journey. I could uh, I could do 
I, I could probably teach procrastination better than I could <laughs> get out of it. Um, I'm still a big procrastinator. You know, oh, like something that just occurred to me while I'm sitting here mm-hmm. talking to you in, in Austin, Texas from New York, looking through a camera, I was thinking about procrastination. And I think back to where I was 10 years ago before I became a speaker. And now I'm sitting being interviewed by someone um, which probably would be happening anyway, but I'm going to be doing a lot more things from my basement uh, studio now because mm-hmm. of COVID, un- unfortunately. But, you know, when you begin to think about procrastination, I think maybe you have to think back of things that you've actually done and accomplished, and maybe that can pull you out of it a little bit. Because I know, you know, procrastination is it's brutal. It's one thing to be you know, depressed and sad and not, but it's another thing to just make excuses and constantly, um, you know, I got to paint the house and I got to seal the driveway and I got to wash the car, you know, and all, yeah, all of those things have to get done, but at some point, you know, you've got to go out and, and maybe make a name for yourself and, and have an impact um, on other people and earn a living. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and if you have a calling on the inside, I always ask kids, you know, what, what is your heart? What would you do if you, if, if you would do it for free, what would you do for the rest of your life? You do it for free. And I know a lot of parents wouldn't like someone to tell their kids that because oh, I'd be an artist, Mr. Flutter. I'd be a dancer. And, you know, you really have to work at those things. But I think it's about falling in love with your passion. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about falling in love with your passion and selling that love. That's what, you know, I've heard someone say that before. I'm not sure who said that Tom Hopkins or Jim Rohn or Anthony Robbins, somebody like that. Mm-hmm. What's your relationship with procrastination? My relation. That's a great question. Procrastination and I definitely have a, a great relationship. We, uh, <laughs> we, we meet often. We get together like once a day. Um, no, it's well. He, so here's the thing with um, now other people probably would tell you different about me. So I know who to go to. This might take a little while, but I, I know who to go to when I need to hear something. And then I have other people I go to when I want. Like you know, you have your friends. Oh, that was great, Dave. But you go to someone who's critical. So with me, procrastination is I know when I have a deadline that when there's a little pressure on me, Oleg, to do something, mm-hmm. I can get it done, which is that's just deadly. That's ba- not physically deadly, but it's just really bad to get into that habit because then you're putting pressure on yourself and you're probably not, even though I think I am, producing something that's good. So I'll put it off, put it off, put it off. And I'm like, holy crap, that speech is is Thursday and today's Tuesday. I really need to work on that speech. And then you get there to give the speech and you give it and it's good. And, you know, because that's what happens for me most of the time. And I'm like, you know, I got through that one. But it really could have been better if I had tweaked it and worked on it two weeks before and not two days before. So, it, mm-hmm. it, you know, procrastinators, if they're if they're talented and artistic, it can be, you know, detrimental because you think, you know what, I can do it. I only need two days. So it can be very dangerous. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's just a natural part of being a procrastinator and that is doing it kind of the 11th hour or the 11th yeah, minute? It, it probably is. Um, uh, I don't know if it goes back as far as me studying for tests in high school you know, it might because I was a pretty smart kid and I could I could not study and get by, like get B's and, you know, high C's, B's and a couple of A minus B plus like that was the type of student I was. But if I applied myself in school, I would have done a lot better. And I think if I applied myself and didn't procrastinate so much, you know, my speech, 
But, you know, there's people who tell me David's speech was amazing. It was unbelievable. But mm -hmm. my speech could even be taken up, you know, could even be five or 10% better. And I know who to go to. Um, the, the guys that I work with at Top Youth Speakers, the, the organization that I'm part of, those guys are critical. They know. They say, Dave, this can be better. It's like like you'll get a standing ovation for this speech right now. But, you know, the other speech, you know, if you made it five or 10% better, it would be unbelievable. Like, you know, mm -hmm. but, so it, it, you know, it's, it, it, it's a blessing and a curse to be, to be artistic and smart and, you know, be able to do those things. And then the curse is that, cause every now and then you'll run into something that's not your expertise and someone adds, asks you to add something and you procrastinate on it. And then it doesn't come out right, which isn't good either. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, what I've learned throughout my own experience is that procrastination is hard. It's a, it's a difficult one to work through for me. And the reason why is because it requires so many different skills to be not habits really reversed. And that whole concept of even having a deadline, but still finding myself in the 11th hour, just starting the process, but leading up to it, thinking all these amazing ideas that I'm going to have. The thing that you mentioned as far as having it be a blessing and a curse is that I believe in it and here's why. I think the blessing part is this. For someone like myself who definitely has a very close relationship to procrastination or with procrastination, what I realized was that in the 11th hour, I actually can express the highest level of creativity. I can express that thing and that urgency. And that, I think that's where a lot of the creativity gets created as well. Mm -hmm. is with that urgency, a sense of a deadline, sense of accomplishment, the feeling of how you're going to feel when you deliver that thing versus for in the other case, if I, let's say, start 50 days out or whatever it may be, I just know that knowing who I am, I'm going to tweak that idea 50 different times, maybe even 100 different times. Right. That's just the way it is because I'll wake up the next day and think, oh, it would be cool if we had this. Or it would be cool if the presentation had this effect. So I am curious to learn as far as how people choose to really cope with it because I don't think it's possible to eliminate procrastination. I think it's more so about what is the relationship that you want to have moving forward with that topic? You know, it's it's interesting. I, and I don't mean to get off on another topic, but they're kind of related. So a line from my talk one line that I give from my talk, Oleg, is um, loneliness is toxic. And I heard that in a, uh, uh, in a program that I was watching on drug and alcohol awareness and suicide prevention. It was, you know, it said loneliness is toxic. And it talked about how um, people slip into sadness, depression out of mm -hmm. that social isolation and that loneliness. And then several years ago, I happened to open up, and this is related to procrastination, but I happened to open up uh, a Time magazine and I was reading and there was a little article, a very small three paragraph article in the back that was a uh, an article in support of loneliness with artsy people because it actually loneliness with some people, not most, but some, it forces creativity. So they go to mm. a creative outlet. So every now and then I'll meet a kid who's lonely, but they're they're. I say, what do you do when you get lonely? I write, Mister Flood. I draw. I take pictures. I'm I'm very arts. I'm very artsy. It's now that's rare. So what the example you're giving about loneliness is similar to that about uh, procrastination, because you're saying rather than spending 50 days on something, tweaking it, working on it, you'd rather force yourself into that creative moment for 
for one day or one hour mm -hmm. before you have to produce something and just let it be what comes out of you. So I guess you could argue both sides. I think in general, society would say procrastination is not a good habit because things get things get put off. So what could happen with procrastination is you procrastinate paying a bill. You could mm -hmm. procrastinate paying a traffic ticket, you know, and not pay it. And then, and I think that's the worst procrastination is you kick it down the road and then, then there's consequences to pay for it because you didn't show up, right? You procrastinate or you procrastinate paying that bill. So then there's interest on that bill. Mm -hmm. So th there's, there's that into it too. Um, you know, there's that into it too. And I, I guess, I guess when you say procrastination to people, uh, it's things they're afraid of going to the dentist. You can't procrastinate going to the dentist. Your teeth are probably going to get worse, right? They're not going to get better with the doctor. Mm -hmm. You know, th those are, those are really unhealthy procrastinations. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. In the, in the case of loneliness, I'm curious to hear from your end. What have you done as far as creating that space for individuals that experience it to help them create, to help them step into those creative outlets? Um, my, well, so my, I always, I always encourage kids to have a creative outlet, but I do, you know, my encouragement is on the other side. It's, it's reaching out to people to be proactive to them. And I do, I, I always encourage someone who's struggling with loneliness or who has a wall built around themselves, uh, Ole, to, if you can take a little bit of a step, there'll be somebody who will take a bigger step towards you. Mm -hmm. Because I know that can be hard for kids. You know, once you've built that wall around yourself, um, you know, there, there is, there is thinking and, and research that says uh, people who live in social isolation for, for an extended period of time can actually start to not understand social cues. And this is, I mean, I could go off on cell phones, you know, where they did a study of sixth graders, they took away sixth graders phones for five days and then, you know, a group of sixth graders, 26 graders. So 10 of them, they took away their cell phones for five days. The other sixth graders, the other 10 were allowed to use their cell phone, no problem. After they were done, at the end of those five days, those 10 sixth graders who didn't have their cell phones were better at reading people's emotions, social cues, and moods than the other 10 kids who had kept their phones. Interesting. So, so yeah, so that's a whole nother issue. But the, so what I'm saying is it's so important that someone who's got a built, got, got a wall built around themselves, they've still got to take a little step outside themselves because not everyone's going to step towards them. But if they can still, if they don't, if they can hang on to that 1% of vulnerability, I, I think someone else will step 50, 75, 90, hopefully 90, not near 90% towards them. So, so my encouragement is mainly towards the, uh, the person to reach out to the person who's created loneliness themselves. But I highly, I, I gr greatly talk about resiliency, coping skills, um, and how it's important to take care of ourselves, uh, and, 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 you know, have a creative outlet or, or, and always be talking to someone, no matter what, you can't stop talking to people. That would be my biggest um, encouragement for someone who's struggling with loneliness. Mm -hmm. And I think a good portion of what you just mentioned and something that I know you speak on quite a bit, and that's compassion, being compassionate to the individual in understanding. And at least for me, how I understand this concept and what I try to do within my own life is meet the person where they're at. And that's developing that language, developing that understanding of the situation that they might be in. So that way I can possibly help them see differently as well as myself. Because here's the thing that I think about any situation that's important is that no, <laughs> no matter what you may be, 
there's still things I can learn about myself, even when I'm helping someone else along their journey. What have you learned about that? And I know that you go quite deeply into that topic of compassion. Sure. So number one rule, you know, and I'm not a therapist, you know, mm-hmm. psychologist, psychiatrist, social worker. Um, uh, but I, I, but I know, you know, one of the early things that they probably learn in learning about therapy is, you know, when you talk to someone, you start with the problem, you know, even in, even when you're selling to someone, you don't talk about success. If you want to bring someone to where you are, where, where you want them to be, you can't start talking about success to someone who's an, a drug addict. Mm-hmm. You, know, you can't start talking, um, you know, a kid who's got no friends. You can't start talking about having 50 friends, you know, or going to a party. You've got to start with where they are. So the way to start with where they are is to talk a little bit about yourself and your struggles. And people can identify with that. That's the number one thing is to disarm yourself and be self-deprecating. So that's the way that I do with kids is I'm self-deprecating. I make fun of myself. I make fun of my family. I make fun of my relationships with my family. And then I'm emotional in front of kids. I just let my emotions, you know, I wear them on my sleeve. Like people said, wear my heart on my sleeve. And I'm not afraid to be emotional in front of kids. And what that tells them is that Mr. Flood is safe and I can talk to Mr. Flood. Mm. He's safe. Right. And he knows what I went through. I can't tell you, you know, I would say, of course, more kids come up to me and say, you know, Mr. Flood, my situation is just like yours. And it's not at all like they'll come up and say, um, they'll, a kid will come up and say, uh, I, I'm gay. And my I this happens a lot. And a lot of and my mom and dad uh, are throwing me out of the house or they don't accept me. Now, that kid started by saying, my situation is just like yours. Mm-hmm. And it's nothing like mine. But the feelings are the same. Mm-hmm. The feelings are the same. So a kid could come up and say, you know, Mr. Flood, I don't have a brother with autism, but my situation is just like yours. And I, and I look at them. And I'm like, tell me how. Well, my mom and dad are getting divorced and my they pay a lot of attention to my sister. And again, it's it's about the feelings. So so mm-hmm. that's. You know, that's that compassion piece that we're, that we're all again, we're all like on the inside. It's just it's not funny, but it's it's kind of ironic that kids come up and tell they tell me about a hundred, a thousand different situations, which are nothing like my situation. But the majority of kids come up to me and they, you know, they mention they, they say that my brother, sister, cousin, aunt, uncle has autism. Or I talk a lot about addiction in my family when I was growing up. My my dad was an alcoholic, so they'll tell me about their mom, dad, aunt, uncle who has addiction, and and then that's 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 the exact same situation as I'm going through. But mm-hmm. when kids come up and share with me a completely different situation with the same feelings, I love that because that means the message hit home. That mm-hmm. really means it worked. Do you think we are all? Do you think we all experience the same thing? Just the events are different and the timing of them probably, I guess some people would, would differ with that. I guess we experience, yeah, we experience, you know, how many emotions are there, you know, fear, anger, loss, pain, mm-hmm. you know, struggling, sadness, you know, this, uh, however many emotions there are, um, we all go through them at, at different levels, you know, at different times in our life. Uh, you know, some people probably go through them, you know, in a harsher way, you know, in a deeper way, you know, di- like loss is loss, you know, if someone and and some people might agree with this, but I, but I hope this comes out right. So someone dies in your family, or someone moves away permanently to another country. That's like loss is loss, mm-hmm. and or you know now granted you might be able to talk to that person who moved away. The person who died, you can't speak to them again. 
but it, it's all a loss. I remember a girl sharing about, uh, talking about her sister was going away to college and she was, they were best friends. They were like three years apart. It was her older sister going away to college and she was just devastated by this, devastated by this. And she found herself identifying with someone who'd lost a, like a, a sibling who'd actually mm -hmm. died. And, and that was the connection, which I thought was so powerful, you know, and when I want, when I see kids make the connection, you know, that's when I leave and there's three kids still there talking because all their moms have breast cancer. Well, there's two kids talking with autism and one has autism, one has Asperger's and they didn't know each other before my assembly. I walk out of there like on a cloud or like, you know, anytime I can see put kids together like that, that's that's powerful. Yeah. And I think it also speaks to this point of impact. At least my understanding of it has been this far too often. I've looked at impact from this lens of in a situation where let's say there are a thousand people that I have an opportunity to speak and thinking that somehow I can, ch I'm going to change all the thousand lives. When in reality, I think the focus for me has become, it's just one person. Yeah. Kind of one person at a time, one day at a time mentality, because I think that's the, in my opinion, that's all I can control as someone yep. who's a speaker and a facilitator is zeroing in on that one experience through my lens and my own experience and communicating that. And then beyond that, who knows? So I think far too often what I've realized was in reaching out to different organizations and being part of some of these events is that there's this expectation that you you have to change everyone's life. When in reality, I don't, I don't know if that's possible. I, I think it's an aspiration to shoot for, but in reality, how it all plays out, I don't know if that's a thing. And the other thing about impact is this, the impact that you may have on the individual may not happen in that room. It may happen 10 or 20 years down the road when someone recalls, oh, I remember what David said, and I remember how it resonated with me. And now I understand how it relates to me even more. So in that case, I'm just, I'm curious to hear from you. How do you how do you personally view impact? What does impact mean to you? So you know, I'm I'm looking for a post, and I'll I'll read it to you. A letter that I got from a kid the other day, but but so it was never. And I was taught so early and often, Oleg, and and a man named Arik Jackson, um, one mm -hmm. of our one of our speakers, the top you speakers, who's an amazing speaker. I've processed with him uh, before I've gone in to speak. And, and I've been speaking for almost 10 years and I, I still get a little bit nervous, not often, but one day I needed to process with him before I went into the school because I wasn't feeling well, mentally well. And he said, Dave, go in and all we do is go in and tell our stories, be genuine, and we leave it there. I don't even look to impact one person, not mm -hmm. even one. It's just if you are human and you go in and tell human stories and you're genuine and you leave it there and don't worry about it. Th then it, it has the greatest impact ever. Like if you just go in and be genuine, just be yourself, you'll impact who you were supposed to impact. The, mm -hmm. the best, one of the, one of the best stories, I, I believe it is. I mean, maybe it doesn't come across that way, but there, there, I was in a private school several years ago, an all girls school, a middle school, fifth to eighth grade. And the, the principal was having, the headmaster was having some problems with the kids. And, uh, with the seventh grade girls. So, so what I did was I spoke to all, gave two assemblies and then she wanted me to get together with 80 seventh grade girls in four different groups, 20 at a time 
alone with them in a classroom, just chatting, rapping, debriefing about what I talked about. And they were all going to go around and take a chance, you know, take time to share two or three minutes each. So I have one group and then the second group of girls and we're going around the room and we're up to the fourth girl. And uh, she raised her hand and she said, uh, Mr. Flood, my name's Charlotte. And she starts crying and she's crying and she's saying nobody. And this is a really a wealthy private school. And mm -hmm. she, I don't fit in here. I don't belong at this school. I'm not like anybody here. I'm adopted. And it, now, again, she's identifying with the, the story that I tell about Justin, about being lonely, all that situation, completely different. She was adopted. And, and she's pouring her heart out and she's crying. And the other girls are focusing on her and I'm listening to her and we're giving her tissues. And after she finishes sharing, oh, like, I paused for a minute and I gave her some feedback and I said, Charlotte, you know, it's, you know, OK, it, it's going to be OK. And we just listened and talked a little bit more about me um, and, and what I would recommend doing. And I turned to the girl sitting next to her and that girl turns to her and she said, Charlotte, my name's Skylar and I know how you feel because I'm adopted too. Mm. Oh, like they were sitting four inches apart. They were four inches apart from each other. And, I, I, and then I get a, an email from the headmaster two weeks later that says, Mr. Flood, thank you. Skylar, Skylar and Charlotte are best friends and they're inseparable. That's amazing. Like that's impact. Now, all I all I did was generate that it, that well I well I was like the I was like someone lit the match. They had me down there. I put gasoline on the fire, and mm -hmm. the, and there it was right there it was. Mm -hmm. here's, a, here's an email. For, this isn't an email. This is a post. I think I got this in Instagram uh, from a kid the other day. Hey, Mr. Flood, sorry to bother you. I understand this isn't the most formal or best place to contact you, but I just needed to say something. Back in the summer of 2018, it's two years ago, you spoke at an event called PFEW in Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania Free Enterprise Week. You spoke to us about a similar story of your son. Afterwards, I came up to the stage to speak to you along with a number of other students. I told you about my two brothers with Down syndrome and how I can see the similarities in the way people uh, see others in life. Throughout my high school, I have met many people with autism. Some of them are really great friends of mine. Over the past few years, I've adopted a new way of thinking to love everyone, no matter what, period. A large source of my inspiration of this thought was from you. Thank you for that. Thank you for being the father to your family in a world that needs support. Thank you for teaching us to love more, look past each other's differences and embrace them. What we talked about two years ago was just the beginning. Thank you for helping me start that. Two years mm -hmm. later, two years later, I remember the kid too. I actually, you know, when a kid comes up and says, two of my brothers have Down syndrome, that's something you remember. Mm -hmm. You never know. And I need that. Now here's the, here's the bonus on top of all of that is I still have bad days. Oh, like, right. I can be down, get down on myself. Many of us do. <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't have to tell you, right. Like mm -hmm. they've been, I'm not a motivational speaker. I'm a, I'm a dad who tells stories, you know, that's whatever you want to call me a motivational inspiration. Great. That's fine. I was having a, I was having an okay day the other day. I open up that message. My whole day turns around. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think there's a lot to be said in regard to the impact that you have on other people. But I'll also say this as someone who chooses to create those spaces for other people, it's important to hear those messages that you just said from others. Yeah. It's, it almost gives you that additional fuel to keep going and know that you are making a difference and whatever it is that you're doing 
is creating an impact in other it, people's lives. It is. I, I walked out of I walk out of schools, most schools, all schools that I walk out of all emotionally drained because I leave everything there. Um, but energized, emotionally drained, and yet energized with the stories from the kids that I know that I can take to the next school. And I, I do that constantly. You know, I'll tell I'll tell kids, you know, in a high school in Texas about kids that I was with in Michigan or Minnesota or, you know, Alabama. I was like, mm -hmm. I'll be in Al I was in Alabama three weeks ago, guys. Let me tell you about this kid. You guys are no different. Or New York or Maine or Vermont or California, wherever it is, the, the same, same different kid, different state, different story, same feelings. You know, they're mm -hmm. just like you. Mm -hmm. And one other thing that I think you mentioned that's important to note is the importance of creating this space. I think, in my opinion, that's really what we are at the end of the day is individuals who choose to create that space. Space for creators. For people to relate. Yeah, space creators, literally. Yeah. yeah. For others to relate and experience compassion and the ability to be connected, empathy. And people then beyond that, it's... Yeah, whatever they happens is, is up to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they love stories, Oleg. It's just tell me a story, you know, that I can relate to, a human story that I can relate to in my life. And, you know, and there's so many parts and pieces, you know, I, I would have to say, you know, other than maybe, I mean, you know, other than maybe, but even, you know, hopefully my stories even cross racial you know, in religious barriers. And I, and I know that's, that's hard for some people to hear, but maybe they do, you know, hopefully some of them do with feelings about things like that. Um, you know, I certainly don't understand what it's like to be another race or religion, but hopefully my stories bring, bring everybody together, you know, that mm -hmm. they're, that they're about feelings. And I, 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 I try and understand the other side. I don't want to say I understand the other side, um, but I can understand why, um, uh, some people wouldn't relate and, and that's okay, but I do the best, you know, we all do the best we can. Mm -hmm. Have you experienced this? Because I certainly have. So when I was first starting this journey of wanting to create this space for other people who have faced similar obstacles or different challenges in life, what I realized was that at that point of time, there was a piece that was missing. And I think that piece that was missing was that some of us got away from the stories and the different elements of telling the stories and how do you tell a story, not just for what it was, but for what it could be. So for example, if it's a traumatic experience, how do we tell that in a way so that the person can reframe that experience into something else? So as I remember, as I was thinking about it, it took me back to the days of, and I, I didn't really get a chance to experience this because my grandpa was already relatively old by that time. But that concept of sitting around the campfire and just sharing stories, sharing laugh, what have you learned throughout your own experience as far as did we get away from, from that thing or are we away from it now in sharing those stories the way that it used to be? And if so, what are the benefits of doing that and how can we possibly get back to the way that it was in sharing those stories around the campfire? Yeah, you know, I think it's about being genuine. Um, it, when you speak in front of people, Oleg, it's so mm -hmm. important to tell the story. So two things. One, tell the story. And this was taught to me early and often. But you got to put it back on the audience. 
So in other words, you can sit around a campfire with a group of people mm-hmm. and tell a story, right? Tell a great, you know, there's a lot of great storytellers. Stephen King's a great storyteller, but you know, how do you tap into and how do you put it back on the audience? That's what a, a speaker is supposed to do. A, maybe mm-hmm. a storyteller is just supposed to tell stories, but me as a speaker, you as a presenter need to tell the story, but also not what you could say it right out loud and say, listen, this is how you should think about this. So this is how this should Mm -hmm. affect you. So that's one piece um, of it. And then the, the other piece is you've also, you always got to remember, you know, that it's not about you. The audience is not your therapy. You know, it's not, it's not me up there doing therapy. (laughs) Yeah. Like I'm not, I'm not in therapy with a thousand people, psychologists telling my story. Now that happens a lot. This is what's super important. If you're going to tell a traumatic story, you need to have some space between you and when it happened. Very Mm. few people. I I think I can. I don't know how well I do it. Some people would probably tell you, no, you don't do it that well, Dave. But very few people can. And and it what's and I always say this with people in addiction to other uh, principals and people who hire speakers to come in and talk about drugs and alcohol. I always say to them, listen, ask them how long they've been sober because mm-hmm. you really, now if you're going in to speak on behalf of like a recovery group and you're doing it for free, anybody can do that. That's great. But if you're hiring a professional speaker, you don't want to hire a guy who was like, you know, I know a school who brought a guy in who had had a relapse. He was shooting heroin like 90 days before he was in the school. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not, you can't have that. And you, you can't have somebody coming in and t- telling you that they were raped you know, two years ago, you got to mm-hmm. do some therapy with that. And you got to, you got to put some time between you and that to put it in context so that the audience doesn't become your therapy session. Mm-hmm. And, and with addiction, with molestation, with um, really, uh, you know, uh, even a car accident, anything that, you know, anything that's very, very traumatic. One, you need some time. Well, first you need therapy and then you need some time, but mm-hmm. you know, you can't just do that. You know, if you're doing therapy, that's going to give you some time. So all of those things, that's for us, you know, that storytelling piece, it's, it's that the story's not about the speaker. The story is about the story. Mm. Sit around a campfire and tell a story to somebody, tell the story, take yourself out of it, tell the story. And then it has more meaning for people. Cause Mm -hmm. then, you know, if you make it about you, people become jealous of you. Oh, it's a, Oh, you have great stories. You have great stories excuse me, nothing ever great happens to me. Well, wait, let me tell you how, how this story does affect you. Mm-hmm. David, I know you and I can have this conversation for hours upon hours here, but out of the respect to a lot of our listeners and people that are choosing to tune in, what is the best way that people can stay connected to who you are? Do you have anything that's coming up that people can be a part of? Sure. Well, a couple of things. So, so uh, if you want to you know, speak, I'm with top youth speakers out of uh, uh, San Jose, California, with top youth speakers, Brandon at top youth speakers and Christina at top youth speakers, book me on talks. My social media is uh, Instagram kind of for kids. Um, mm-hmm. David Flood speaks really my Facebook page, David J flood youth motivational speaker uh, is where people, where I put most of my content on Facebook. Um, so, so those are the, the ways. And on Friday, Justin and I finished completed writing a book on autism. It's for young children. It's between five and nine. That book will be pre-released pre-order on October 5th. 
Um, mm-hmm. It's put out. Uh, it's called a kid's book about autism. It's put out by a group um, out of Portland, Oregon, called a kid's book about. They have about forty or fifty different titles. And Justin and my book will be a kid's book about autism. That's for five to nine year olds. That'll be out in January, but um, pre-orders will be available the first week of October. That's awesome. We'll make yeah. sure to include all the links and all the different ways that people can get connected to who that you are. Great. Thank you all. Like a lot of that work. Thank you for doing that. Thank you all for choosing to tune in to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you haven't done so already, consider subscribing to our future episodes so you can receive all of the latest content. Also, if you like what you heard on any of the previous episodes, consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can hear these inspiring and courageous conversations. Once again, we thank you for listening and we look forward to having you next week.